open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I just about had a heart attack. This morning I had left my Sunday school lesson in the sunroom. And um, I didn't want to go out there because there was still some Honda smell in there. And Gloria said, I'll go get it for you. And she brought the notes that I'm doing for the videos on forgiveness. But I just happened to have put my Sunday school notes in my Bible. So we are safe here. He was trying. I was uh, headed into Blessed Are the Pure in Heart, and I looked down to see um, bitterness from blight to blessing. Have you ever been wounded? And I thought, this ain't it. So here we are. All right. Blessed are the pure in heart. One of the nagging questions in the minds of many of the people that were gathered to hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the same nagging question in the minds of so many people today. It's the question, what shall I do to have eternal life? And understand that it was new to these people. Until Jesus came, they thought it was to live the life of the Pharisees where you tried to do everything perfectly. And it was self-righteousness and it was law and legalism. But everybody wants to know, how can I know God? How can I be right with God? Uh, what does it require of me to be right with God? Well, Jesus had been going around Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing diseases, and he had become famous. So there were a lot of people following him around. Now, understand there's a difference between following Jesus and following him around. So a lot of these people were following him around, and so Jesus knows the questions of our hearts, and he knows the answers. And so these people are wondering, well, how good do I have to be? And so you've got these Pharisees parading around in all of their self-imposed religiosities and, and um, convincing everybody that they, were, that they were saints. And so they're concerned. And so there are a lot of people that think, well, I can't do that. So they start off trying to keep the law, and then they may look good on the outside, but they're thinking, well, you know, I, I really, I can't do that. And so the question becomes, how good do I have to be? How good is good? Uh, what is the standard? What is necessary in order to see God? So here comes Jesus with blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, what? See God. See God. So that was a shocking statement to these people. Um, people haven't changed much. Um, I go back often to that verse in the book of Ecclesiastes that says there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, people are basically the same today that people have ever been, and we just are the same through lots of cultures and lots of generations but people have always measured themselves I should say we have always measured ourselves by others um, we probably have all done that and the Pharisees did it and they would compare themselves with each other and they would conclude well um I'm better than that person over there. Or maybe we look around and think, well, I would never do that. I haven't done that. So we conclude, I'm better than you. 
I'm better than somebody else. And so <clears throat> if I'm better than all these people I see, then I must be um, able to be accessible to God or God is accessible to me. So we look at the character and the morals and ethics of others and think, I, I'm not like that. I wouldn't do that. And so I'm better than that. And, and so that makes us feel good about ourselves because we're better than somebody else. Haven't, I've heard through the years, have you not ever heard somebody say, well, I, I don't do what those, some of those deacons do. And so they're setting it up as a standard. And so we feel better about ourselves when we find somebody that we think is not as good as we are. And so when we do that, what are we doing? We're using another person as a standard, as our standard. And the other people are not the standard. Who is the standard? God is the standard. Jesus is the plumb line. God's word is the plumb line. And so God is the highest, holiest, sinless one, and he is the standard. And we always are to compare ourselves to him, not to other people. So remember the sequence of the Beatitudes. Remember that one builds upon another. And when you back off and want to summarize, if you say, what are the Beatitudes about? I think it's fair to say the Beatitudes are about salvation. And so he starts off with, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so when we do that, we recognize our spiritual bankruptcy. Uh, then blessed are they that mourn. And that's when we begin to mourn over our sinfulness. They shall be comforted. Uh, blessed are the meek and the humble. What does that mean? It means to be submissive to God. Because you see your condition. You see your sinful condition. You're mourning over that condition. You hate it that you're separated from God because of your sin. And so you become meek and humble and submissive to God and see your condition. And then you hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then you're merciful. How come we're merciful? Because we have received mercy. You receive mercy, and that mercy makes you pure in heart. Okay? So out of the mercy of God, God makes our hearts pure. And so the righteousness of God that he requires, the kind of righteousness that he requires is given to us, is imparted to us, is imputed to us by faith. By faith. So... The Pharisees thought that it was enough to maintain external religion. Uh, so Jesus says, mm -mm, no, you're never going to see God unless you are absolutely pure on the inside. So they were totally convinced that if everything was good on the outside, that the inside didn't really matter. As long as they could cover it up, as long as they could hide it, as long as they could perform well. But here comes Jesus and he says, blessed, blessed. That is the condition of spiritual well-being. Uh, it comes with salvation. It comes with salvation. So those who have well-being and spiritual prosperity are those who are pure in heart. 
Now, the Pharisees knew the Old Testament. They knew. Uh, it was not that the information had not been given to them. They knew. They had studied it. They just rejected what God said. Because being pure in heart is not just new to the New Testament. Being pure in heart is all through the Old Testament. First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7 says, Man looks on the outward appearances, but God looks on the heart. Turn with me. Turn with me to Psalm 24. Let's just look at this. Psalm 24. David's asking a question here. Look at it. He begins with, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And then he asks this question. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Now scholars tell us that David is moving toward the temple in Jerusalem. And as he anticipates entering the temple, he's thinking, how can I be worthy how can I be worthy to enter his presence? He knows the answer because he answers it then in the next verse. Who may stand in his holy place? He who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. So he knows that it's not somebody who has kept the law perfectly <clears throat> or fulfilled all of the ceremonial requirements. Who? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness. That's key. Where from? From the God of his salvation. So what's he showing to us as early as the Psalms? He's showing to us, and it's in there before, way before the Psalms, but God grants divine righteousness to sinners. That's what it is to be pure in heart. Okay, Righteousness, purity, holiness, all those words are kind of alike. And so God grants this righteousness to sinners. And so saved people are given a clean heart. A pure heart, a cleansed heart. Who can enter his holy presence? Those who have been given his righteousness. <clears throat> Flip over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. This is, we can kind of call this new covenant transformation. Ezekiel chapter 36 and just verse 25. 25, verse 25, Ezekiel 36, 25. And God is describing the new covenant to Ezekiel. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new what? Heart. And put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So, 
That's new covenant transformation. So a sinner in his natural condition is totally unacceptable to God. Cannot enter God's presence. Cannot communicate with God. And so no matter how good he seems to be, no matter how much on the outside he looks like he's doing everything right, no matter what, unless he or she has a cleansed heart and God's imputed righteousness, he will never see God. It's all about the heart. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, God gives us uh, his holy standard. I'm going to turn to First Peter if you want to do that with me. First Peter chapter 1 is an important chapter. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, God says, You shall be holy for I am holy. Well, what is holy? Perfect. Perfectly clean. So who meets that standard? Nobody. Nobody meets that standard. So we need a righteousness, a purity, a holiness that we don't have and that we can't get for ourselves. We can't get there. We can't arrive at it. So what do we need? We need a new heart. So what has God done? Look down there now in verse 18. <clears throat> verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, since you have, in obedience to the truth, watch it, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Okay? So, what's God done? He's given us a way to have a pure heart. He's made that way. He's made that available to us. So, um, the Lord is talking about the heart here. What's the heart? Well, obviously it's a muscle. But in Scripture, the heart commonly, the word heart commonly refers to our thinking and our emotions. It's our inner person. It's who we really are. Um, Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, are the issues of life. So the heart is that part of us from which issues arise. That's who we are on the inside. It's, it's, it's that real part of us. You can say, I love somebody with all my heart. You're not talking about your heart muscle. You're talking about your very being. So the Lord is saying, before you ever see me, there's going to have to be a substantial change at the core of your being. 
Something's got to happen for you to be able to see God. So it's not all about the outside. Now, truly, when something happens on the inside, it's going to show up on the outside. But if it's outside and performance only, it's not going to do anything for us to be able to gain accessibility to God. Remember that the Pharisees were always washing their hands and they had special ways that they had to wash uh, pots and pans and a certain way of going through prayer rituals and they were so careful to do that. All the while, Jesus said, they were ignoring love and mercy and justice. It would be easy for us to slide into that same mindset, wouldn't it? We kind of think that. But the Lord pointed out that they had substituted, think about this, the traditions of men, the traditions of men for the commandments of God. So here's God saying, love one another, have mercy on one another. You know, here's God saying, everything's got to come out of your heart. Is your heart right? Are you spending time with me? Are, you know, are you in the word? And when, so the Pharisees are over here just following their check boxes of rules. We all, we're people. I don't know, there's something about people. We just kind of think like that, don't we? <clears throat> I remember when I was a kid growing up in church. I think we've talked about this before. You got these little envelopes on Sunday and you had to check off did you read your Bible every day did you bring your offering did you do I don't remember what they all were but man you had to check those things off and what you did was you checked them off whether you'd done them or not because you didn't want somebody coming after you right God says no 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 he says it's got to be what's in your heart it's not about ritual it's about love and truth and justice and so I was trying to think about what are some of the ways that we substitute traditions of men for the commandments of God. You know, sometimes we feel like if we can please other people, God ought to be pleased. Think about that for a minute. Well, if I can please all these, surely to goodness, God is going to be pleased. Well, no. Not necessarily. So, it's all about the heart. It's all about your inner person. It's all about your desire, what you want to do. Whom do you want to please? Where, what is God's place in your heart? So let's just ask the question, how can your heart be pure? How can you get there? Um, the word here comes from the Greek word that means to cleanse from filth and impurity. To cleanse from filth and impurity. So to have a pure heart means to be clean from the defilement of sin. It really means that the sin in my heart has been dealt with. So salvation is going to do what? We saw it in Ezekiel. It's going to give us a new heart. A clean heart. And sometimes this word pure means undivided. Give me an undivided heart. What does that mean? It means that I want a heart that has a single focus on God, on what pleases him. I want to have a single focus on my relationship with him. Uh, I want to work on, we're going to be distracted, but how can I work on all of those distractions being put aside? So purity is granted to every believer at the moment of salvation.
So if you're saved, you were given a pure heart. So God, when you're saved, when we're saved, God imputes, he puts to your account his own righteousness. So a pure heart is a gift. It's a part of salvation. It's not something that I have to work for and worry and say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do to make my heart pure today? Now, there is positional purity of heart. God has given us that purity of heart. But certainly there's practical purity where I'm going to try to live out the purity that he's put in my heart. How do I do that? Well, I do that by being in his word and obeying his commands by following what he says do. I keep an account. I'm immediately confessing my sin when he quickens my spirit with that conviction. I agree with him about that sin and I turn from it. And if it's a sin I have trouble turning from, I just say to him, I'm going to have to have, have you help me have a desire to turn from this sin. Give me the will to turn away from it. I still want to do it. I confess that to you. I find pleasure in it. And so what's he going to do? He's going to work in your heart to help you get to that place. He will give us the power and the ability to do his will. And so what we're going to do is just go to him and ask him to do it. And so there is practical purity that grows out of the purity that he gives to us when we are saved. In Philippians 3, Paul says, I don't have a righteousness of my own, but that which is of God given to me through faith in Christ. So we would not have any righteousness if he didn't give it to us when we're saved. The only way we have any righteousness is that it is a gift to us from God when we are born again. It's that new heart. He puts it in us. He counts us righteous when we're not on our own, when we're not on our own flesh. And so that's why when we stand before God, he sees Jesus in you. And so he, Jesus says what? Blessed to be envied are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this pure heart is going to be once I get to that number, is it number six, I believe it is, in the Beatitudes. Once I get to that number, when I get a pure heart, I'm also going to be pure in spirit and mourning over my sin. And I'm going to be meek. And I'm going to be hungering thirst after righteousness. And I'm going to be merciful. And so what happens is this pure in heart is a pinnacle of the Beatitudes. I get my purity of heart from those first things. And so it's, it's a gift to us. And so he says, the pure in heart shall see God. I want you to think about this because that's not something that's just going to happen in the future. Certainly in the future, we're going to stand face to face before God and we're going to see him face to face. We will see him face to face. That's a great old hymn, isn't it? We will see him face to face in the future, but it doesn't just happen in the future. Let me get this for you. It is a continuous reality. The word perennial came up 
in my studying perennial I mostly use the word perennial when I go by plants in the spring y'all ever go by plant they got annuals and perennials annuals means what you got to plant them every year perennial means what they're going to continue they'll come back they will continue to exist through all seasons this seeing God is perennial so he is available to me for me to see him every day so we see him in history we see him in creation we see him in circumstances we see him working in people's lives we see him at work around us and when our hearts are cleansed when we keep our hearts cleansed when we keep our sins confessed up to date as Bertha Smith says when we keep those sins cleansed up to date then we are available to see God to recognize him our eyes are open to him and transformation takes place and that is available to anybody who is saved I think I told you last week or week before I've started rereading many years ago one of the most incredible studies I believe that was ever published was Henry Blackaby's experience in God and early on back in the 80s 90s I think I taught that study four or five times here in the church and I think recently maybe Dr. Blank somebody else has taught it since then but I found out that he had released a new book kind of an updated version not the interactive study but the book book of experiencing God and I started rereading it and I can't list all of them, but it's based on seven realities. And the seven realities, I'm stuck on the second one. Okay, God is always at work around you. God invites you to join him in what he is doing. Well, if I'm going to join him in what he is doing, I've got to be able to what? See what he is doing. So that's been the prayer of my heart before I get out of bed in the morning is the Lord. Open my eyes to see what you are doing today. Let me see you in it. And so then we come here to this place in our study. We say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. So what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to be in God's word. I'm going to have to keep my sins confessed up to date. I have to walk in fellowship with him and be communicating with him so that it will be easy for me to see him and whatever it is that's going around in all circumstances. So when our hearts are cleansed, our eyes are open to see him. Um, transformation takes place when we are saved. Back in our study on forgiveness some weeks back, we looked at the passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 where it said this, Pursue peace and holiness. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see God. It's Hebrews 12. I didn't jot down the verse. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue means you need to be going after it. And next week, I believe it is, we're going to talk about being peacemakers. But he says, Pursue peace and holiness 
without which no one will see the Lord. Well, how am I going to get to see the Lord by having holiness? How am I going to get to be holy? He's going to give it to me when I go to him broken over my sin, mourning over my sin, hungering and thirst after righteousness when I want to be his and I want him to be mine. So continually then, certainly, in life, we're going to, he makes it available for us to see him. And then one day when we get to heaven, we will see him face to face. And he says, when you see him, you will be like him i have trouble figuring that one out i'm not i can't grasp what all that means but he says when you see him you're going to be like him well how will i be like him he's going to give it to me i can't do it on my own it is his gift but in this life we have access to his presence that's what happened that was the that was the big message when we talked a couple of weeks ago about when Jesus died and the veil in the temple was split in two opening up the holy of holies to be accessible to all men to the presence of God so I encounter him on a daily basis in a way that I stand in awe of him you may stand in awe of him when you see a sunrise or a sunset or a baby figuring out things that you can't teach him. But God's teaching him. Or when you see someone whose life has been changed. I had an interesting experience yesterday. Um, I'm quitting. Um, the um, Harrelson County has a dreadful drug problem. We're number one in the state. Okay. And so um, I've begun to take the position, if you don't face it, you can't fix it. And so sometimes we don't want to tell these things about our communities and our county because, you know, traditions of men, people won't like it. And God says, if you want to fix this mess, you better own up to it. So anyway, all that's for another time. But a group of motorcycle riders from Jackson County decided they would donate a thousand doses of Narcan to the Harrelson County Sheriff's Department. Y'all know what Narcan is? Narcan is a drug that you use to um, keep somebody from dying from an overdose. It's a nose drop and you just squirt it in their nose and most of the time they live, have another chance. So they called and asked if I would meet them down here at the, sh at the jail to receive the, uh, with the sheriff to receive the thousand doses of Narcan. And all of a sudden, I was so taken with the fact that here are these tattoos, leather jackets, you know, precious people. And you know what they stood around talking about? They stood around talking about how many years they had been clean. Every one of them is a recovering, they always use that word, recovering addict. Almost everybody there, except me and one or two others, I've been clean five years. I've been, I've been clean two years. Let me tell you about me. One of them came over. He worked for the state. He came over to me and he says, let me tell you about what life was like for me. I worked at the Capitol and I did this and that and the other and the whole time I was high. 
And he said, then one day I binged and I got locked up. And so now he's working out of Atlanta with a recovery facility. And he'll say, I've been clean two years. And after I left, I was so taken with that, the fellowship of that, the smiles on their faces, the excitement on their faces to be able to say, hey, God, I've been clean. You know, and so I went over and I shook the hands of these burly people and I said, you're such an encouragement to me and to everybody else because I can look at you and know that it can happen. And so then after I left, I thought, how does this relate to the church? Do we ever get together and say, let me tell you how many years I've been saved. Let me tell you how many years uh, that God has been showing me things. Let me tell you what God showed me this past week. Are you saved? Yeah, come on. You know what? They would not have any hesitation at all to go up to a druggie and say, let me tell you how to be recovered. But I don't find myself going around Said, let me tell you how it is to be saved. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We'll have spiritual sight. We can communicate with him. We can see him as he really is. But we can't unless we're pure in heart. How do we get to be pure in heart? Salvation. The gift of purity. The gift of a new heart. And then I work on walking that out. And practical purity. Am I going to mess up? You're mighty right. Nobody's trying to come in yet. So I was in a meeting this past week about... There's going to be a drug awareness program um, that Chief Pesnell um, initiated. I, it's a Tuesday night. I think it's that would be March the 8th up at Sewell Mill. I hope a lot of you will come. And, and what they're going to do is, is give statistics of drugs in Harrelson County. And um, DFAX is involved. Um, your Haven is involved, a lot of different people. The GBI was present at this meeting. Some different people were here. And so we were talking about, um, you know, getting, getting the word out. Um, to be quite honest with you, I lost my train of thought. I was fixing to tell something wonderful, and I lost it. Um, but to get to the place where we can be real be true and it's not just drug addiction you know we're full of pornography and alcoholism and you know and all of these people and we tend to think if we can keep it a secret and go to church nobody's gonna know guess who knows God knows and it's gonna keep me from seeing him it's gonna keep me from seeing him at work, I know what I was going to tell you. In the conversation, I said, I talked about forgiveness. Uh, one of the things I think I told you in the forgiveness study was one of the books I studied. said 90% of the people who have addiction problems have forgiveness problems. And I've really been heavy into that in my mind and heart. And so I said to this group, I said, 
you know, we need we need to do some seminars on forgiveness. Let the church do some seminars on forgiveness. And some of those professional people looked at me and said, if we bring up the name of the church, m- many of these people get up and walk out. And I'm thinking, Lord, what? And the thought that came to my mind was you got to stop pointing a finger and start holding out a hand. See, there are people that are looking to the church as an example instead of looking to God for holiness and don't know how to get there. I didn't mean to get off on all that, but maybe you need to know it. Let's pray. Father, give us understanding of your word. Give us eyes to see you, and then let us be immediate in joining you in whatever it is that you're doing. We're so grateful to be yours, and I do pray that you would open doors of evangelism, that so many people would begin to come to Christ in our community. Help us to know how to get to the ones that are not going to come to church. But help us to, first of all, show your love and your mercy, and then use us to bring an incredible revival to our church, our area, and glorify your name. I pray in the almighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I plan to see you next week.